1: If you sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag and use a new promo code, our UGA promo code has expired, but we got a new one. They gave us a brand new one, and the new code is 200cash. So all you new users, if you sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag, use that promo code 200cash you're going to get a cash bonus on top of that initial deposit. So make sure to take advantage of this new offer while you can. Again, that's 200cash at mybookie.ag. But let's get rolling today, guys. You know I am your host, Tyler. And as promised, officially, finally, my man Curtis is back with me once again on today's show to answer all of your most pressing Georgia football questions Following Georgia's 24 to 14 victory over the South Carolina Gamecocks last weekend, I know it was my fault. Again, it's not Curtis's fault. We were all set to make things happen on Sunday. You have him back on the recap episode. But I had a concert to get to in Atlanta at the Masquerade, so I had kind of like a drop-dead time where I had to record the show and leave so I get to the concert. And Curtis, uh, through no fault of his own, had a little bit of car issues and was able to get those straightened out, but it put him a little bit behind getting back home. So by the time he got back home, I was heading to Atlanta for the concert, and yeah, the rest is history. But it's all good because we've got Curtis back here today. And we've got a ton to talk about. we got some questions looking back at the game against South Carolina, some of the issues still plaguing this team coming out of that game. So certainly still a lot of questions on that front, but also some questions looking forward to the rest of the season, some bigger picture questions. So some nice variety on the show today. All right, Curtis, we have a lot of questions to get to today, my friends. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right in. You guys know we like to start with the big picture question off the top here in these mailbag episodes. So we're going to go with a question from Jamie first. I thought this was an awesome question. In fact, I thought it was so great that I put it out on social media, on Twitter last night, and got a lot of responses from you guys. And I was I was uh, very curious to see how the rest of you guys felt because I know how I feel. I think I know how Curtis feels, but I want to see how you guys feel. I think a lot of us are of the same mindset. But, Curtis, I want to get your take on, on record here. But Jamie asked, after three games – What is your confidence level of going undefeated in the regular season and how far do we go in the postseason? So, Curtis, the way I read this question, and this may be me just adding my extra thoughts into it, do you really think that we need to alter our expectations for this team that we had coming into the season based off how the
0: first three games have gone? I don't. And the reason I say that is because the second half of what we saw in the South Carolina game is good enough to win win it all. And, yes – We can say, well, that's, yeah, of course that's your best. You can always win it all. But the fact is not everyone can do that. Exactly. And Georgia can. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying this exactly like Missouri, but it's really good to see them tested and to respond the way they did. That's actually why my confidence hasn't changed too much because of the way they responded in a time where it could have gone real bad and snowballed from there. And they were, and they came out and responded the right way. And so I think that helped my belief in them. And then also to see them do it, um, you know, it kind of felt like, especially the second half, the team felt like they had confidence I hadn't seen all season all of a sudden. And so I think that, you know, maybe ask me in a couple of weeks after we go to Auburn and have our first really road game and everything, we'll see how we feel. But overall, I, I hope um, the, the confidence I saw in the second half has given me um, reason to kind of just keep the status quo.
1: I think that's a very reasonable way to look at it, Curtis. You and I, we both had the dogs going 12-0. and 0. I think Charlie did, too. I think we all three had, had the dogs going 12-0 and 0 in the regular season. If you had to readjust right now or reevaluate right now, are you still more confident that we go twelve and zero than eleven and one or ten and two?
0: I am, and it's just because also, I mean, the way these teams play that you've seen. I mean, I know we Tennessee lost a bad game, and I know we have to go to Tennessee, but it just the the more I see the season, the more and the, some of these teams play, it's it's kind of like these teams are gonna have to play perfect to get us.
1: That's my next oh. question. Who is that team, Curtis? It's like, because how far are we going in the postseason, which Jamie asked, which is a great question. I, I don't know if we're as good as we were last year. I mean, we're, right now we're not. Maybe we'll, we will be by the end of the season, but right now we're not. But it's all relative to the context of this season. So, Curtis, who is that team right now that's flawless, that's just clearly better than us?
0: There's not a single one. I mean, Ohio State not is not is not really um consistently blowing teams out. Michigan's, I mean, we saw last week a lot of the top teams floundered barely got through it um so i mean and i think that's the biggest thing it's like any of those teams can play a a four
1: state barely got out alive against yes DC.
0: exactly and like these are teams that yes they could beat us i'm not saying they can't like that's not my argument but i'm saying right now there's no clear-cut team I can point to be like they're beating us
1: yeah 100 that's where i'm right now I, i'm not saying we're unbeatable that's certainly not the case right now uh, we're, we're one of the best teams in the country just at least based on talent but I also recognize that if we played Michigan tomorrow, we could lose that game. We could win it too, but we could lose that game. Ohio State, all, all those teams, Texas, like we could lose to those teams. I think that maybe the margin for error is, is reduced this year. I think that's fair to say. But I, I, I agree with like, that. Yeah. Like if, but the question is, how far can we go in the postseason? I think that we can still win the whole thing. I, I'm not I, saying that it's definitive that we will, but I, here's my thing with this team, Curtis. Right now, we are. Probably not. No, I, I agree with you. The second half, the way we played the second half, that was national and championship caliber stuff. First half, no. We have not consistently been a national championship caliber team this season. That, that's clear. We have not consistently been that. We'd be lying. I mean, here, but he, here's
0: what – here's what, You know how I'll kind of counter that just a little bit. Outside of the Oregon game last year, yep. we did not look like a national championship team until maybe the fourth quarter of the Auburn. Well, game. I would
1: say Oregon and South Carolina, we were dominant. But okay, got those Hitch two. State I forgot, Stanford, I forgot we about South dominant. Carolina.
0: I forgot about South Carolina. But we did have a long stretch of subpar play. I
1: don't know if it was subpar. It was just not as dominant as like 48-7 in South Carolina. 49-3 I say
0: subpar because you see what we could do at our highest, and so when you see that performance, you're like, okay. It wasn't that's to our not standard, good. Right. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of yeah. how I feel like we did 26 not. Twenty-six points
1: up against this. Missouri, sixteen against Kentucky. Uh, got, Curtis, it was ten-three a half against, or was it no ten-seven? Well, I think it was the score a half against Georgia Tech, something like that. It was. It was not like we were blowing the doors off Georgia Tech in the first half of that game. So you're exactly right. I think sometimes the way the season ended last year. It was a little bit of a revisionist history that the entire season was like that. Yeah, there were the obvious high points. I think 49-3 to open the season against Oregon, that caught everyone's attention. It's like, oh, well, Georgia just blew everybody out. Well, no, we blew a lot of teams out. We didn't blow everybody out. Every offensive performance wasn't to the standard. It wasn't stellar. I mean, most of them were, and when we needed them to be stellar, they were. And at the, in the biggest moments, our offense was fantastic, but it wasn't like that – Game in and game out, and I think there's a little bit of a revisionist history based on how the season began—49-3 against Oregon, just blew the doors off them—and how it ended with obviously the blowout against TCU. And I think that kind of skewed the perception of what our offense was from a game-to-game basis last year. There were games where it wasn't—I don't know if I would use the word subpar, but it wasn't up, I think, up to our standards, is probably what I would say there. But I'm with you, Chris. I've seen a lot of positive signs with this team. I put this out—I there. I know you weren't on the recap episode, which was obviously again my fault—but uh, I put this out there, Curtis. We had 29 first downs against South Carolina. We had 28 first downs against UT Martin. I know it's UT Martin, okay, but whatever. But 28 first downs against UT Martin in week one. And, Curtis, did you have a chance – to? have you gone back and listened to that episode? Probably not, I would guess. I have, no, not not yet. Okay, so I'll I'll put this question to you. I think our listeners know because I mentioned it there, but I'll put this to you. So 28 first downs against UT Martin, 29 against South Carolina. If you had to guess, how many times did Todd Munkin produce 28 or more first downs in three years as George's offense coordinator? Uh,
0: five times. Three.
1: Three times. Three times in three years, Curtis. Mike Bobo's done it in two of his first three games. Now, I know the point totals haven't yeah. been what people want, but the first downs, which is, which is a measure of offensive productivity. I know the ultimate goal is to score points. I get that. We'll get to the red zone issues here in a minute. But Todd Munkin produced 28 or more first downs three times in three years. He had 29 once against Vanderbilt. He had 31 in the, in the national championship game against TCU and 28 once. I forget who it was in, 2020, in 2021. Uh, but Bobo's done that to his first three games as an offensive coordinator without Stetson Bennett, with a mash unit running back, without the best receiver in Ladd McConkey, with a true a redshirt freshman at left tackle, with Marius Mims going out in the second quarter against South Carolina. I, I think – Mike has done a pretty good job. And so to me, I take that as a positive sign. I don't know everyone sees it that way. That's fine. To me, that's a positive sign. I know the red zone issues are what they are, but as you said, Curtis, the second half, those red zone issues all of a sudden weren't issues anymore. So if we continue to move the chains like we have, and we start to straighten those things out in the red zone like we did in the second half of that game in South Carolina, we are, I think, going to be in very good shape offensively. Carson Beck has done a really good job, Curtis. We were talking about being efficient in his passes down the field, and his passes that have traveled 10-plus yards. I'm going to give Jake Rose some credit. He put these numbers out there, so I want to give him credit there. But Carson Beck, Curtis, and passes that have traveled in the air 10 or more yards, he's 15 of 25 for 368 yards, one touchdown, all right, 14.7 yards per attempt. And Stetson Bennett last year, who was awesome, highest trophy finalist, you guys know how I feel about Stetson Bennett last year, was 17 of 30 for 417 yards and three touchdowns in passes of 10 or more yards last year that traveled 10 or more yards in the first three games of the season. Now, I know two of those games, were against Power 5 teams. I understand that. But this idea that we're just not pushing the ball down the field with Carson Beck, it's not exactly playing out with the numbers. I know that people feel that way, but it's not exactly playing out that way. If you look at pass plays of 30 or more yards, which is what I consider an explosive pass play, we had 23 pass plays, Curtis, of 30 or more yards in 2022 last year. We already have seven this year. I tell you guys all the time. I ain't a math guy, but I can do that math. That means if we played a 15-game season like we did last year, we are on pace for 35 passing plays of 30 or more yards, which would blow what we did last year out of the water. And pass plays of 10 or uh, of only 10 or more yards, so when we're not throwing the ball that far, we had 180 last year in 2022. This year we got 35 right now, 15-game season on pace for 175. So actually throwing the ball short – we're on pace to throw the ball short, less than we did last year, and we're on pace to throw the ball vertically down the field with explosive pass plays more than we did last year. So this idea that we're not pushing the ball down the field and that Carson Beck is gun and he's not, th- not taking shots, I know people feel that way. The numbers are not telling you that. That's not what the numbers are saying right now. So I see some really good signs offensively, and on top of that, we've had so many injuries, so many new phases that are – and some of these guys are getting better. Because we're seeing signs of these guys coming around, and to wrap it up here, I don't think that we are there yet. Like I said, I, I we're – we have not consistently played a national and championship caliber team to this point. But here's the thing. Kirby Smart, a hallmark of Kirby Smart's teams, Curtis, is that they get better as they go. And this team, with all the youth, all the experience that we have at key spots on this team, all the injuries that we've had, and a lot of these guys are going to come back. I know Brands is not coming back, but Ladd will be back at some point. Amarius Mims will be back at some point. Hopefully Kendall Milton might be healthy at some point. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But by the end of the year, when we get to postseason time, I think this team is going to be an absolute monster. I think it will be a much better version of the team that we see right now. For me, it's all about not slipping up
0: before we get to that point. You know what I mean, Curtis? Yeah, and that's exactly how I feel. Like You and I were talking about it after the game. Um, if you don't catch us kind of right now, to be honest, then you may not see, be able to stay with us.
1: And, of course, we took South Carolina's best shot, and, yeah, they kept the game closer because we're not there yet. Like we were further along in my opinion because we had more experience in key spots, especially at quarterback. And in receiver, we were healthier. Running back, we were healthier, obviously. The offensive line, I think we were were certainly playing better last year at that point. So three games of the year, we were better than where we are right now. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, easily. But we we don't play national championship. We don't play SEC championship games in the third week of the year. Now, we can't slip up. That's the thing. It's like we're a work in progress right now. We have to avoid that slip up that cost us while we are getting to where I think that where I'm confident that we are going to get. If we if we avoid that slip up, which I do think our schedule, you know, knock on wood, should help us there. That trip, the trip to Auburn can be can be tricky, just be on the road and Carson's first road start and all those things. But we are a better team than Auburn. But if we can just get by without slipping up, of course, if we get to you know. The back half, we get past the bye week, we get to Florida. Hopefully we have Mims back by then. Hopefully Lad's back by then. You gonna got the stretch run of Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Obviously you got those teams. I think the team that we will be then is gonna be infinitely better than where we are right now. Is that a fair way to look at it? That's how I that's the view I'm taking. Yeah, so Jamie, I, I totally get where you're coming from because I know the point totals. Like we beat South Carolina 48-7 last year. We beat them 24-14 this year at home, 48-7 last year on the road. So you're like, well, what's going on here? Like, what happened? Well, part of it is Spencer Rattler's a different guy, okay? And I know they only they only scored seven more points than they did last year. It's really just two big plays. He's much better than he was week three last year. And the other part is really Curtis, as we'll talk about in a minute. We were in the first half, we only had like three real possessions. Yes, we had that two minute drill late. So got to, it's technically four possessions, but we had three real possessions, one in the first quarter. And two of those three possessions, Curtis, we drove in the red zone, and we just didn't score touchdowns. We got three points and two red zone trips. It was all about red zone inefficiency last year. That's what we were great at. We were dominant in the red zone in scoring touchdowns and keeping teams from scoring touchdowns. We were outscored 14-3 in the red zone. Each team had two trips in the red zone in the first half. They scored two touchdowns. We scored one field goal, 14-3, and that's where you are at the half. But in the second half, obviously, we started to figure some things out. So we're fine offensively. I truly believe that. I am not freaking out. I'm not going to say there's no reason to be concerned. There are some things I would like to see improved. Running game, obviously took some strides but still needs to get better offensive line needs to get more consistent i want to see a little bit more for some of our receivers but i've seen a lot of positive signs and i see no reason right now to adjust my expectations for this team to go undefeated in the regular season because when we do get to those what i think are tougher games down the road i think that we are going to be a better team so i'm still sticking with my 12-0 prediction i'm still sticking with my prediction that we win the sec and get the college playoff and as of right now until i see a team that's just head and shoulders above better than us I'm still saying we're gonna win the national title. I just don't know if I see that team right now. And now obviously we can we reserve the right to adjust this as the season progresses and we get more information, but basically info I have right now, that's uh that's kind of where I am. And guys, we are quite literally just getting started with the questions. That was question one. We've got a lot more to go. we got about 14 or 15 more to go. But I do want to stop here real quick before I forget, because I will forget, and remind you guys about our good friends at MyBookie. I told you guys at the outset of the show that we have a new promo code for you guys. Our initial season kickoff promo code has expired, but I think this one is actually even better. It might not sound like it is on the surface, but let me explain. The new promo code is 200cash. Go to mybookie.ag, all new users, use our promo code 200cash, and now you will get a cash bonus on top of your first deposit as a new customer. And that's up to $200. And here's why it's better, guys. Because with the old promo code, the 50% bonus on top of your initial deposit, those typically require rollover. So to actually be able to cash anything out, it depends on the sports book, but you you could have like a, a 10 to 15 times rollover before you can withdraw any cash well with this cash bonus it only carries a one time rollover so what that means is you just simply need to bet the amount that you deposited one time and once you do that then you are free to withdraw whatever you want it's a strings free bonus guys that's what it is And like our initial season kickoff promo, this one's not going to last forever. So if you've been on the fence, now is the time to jump in and get this new promo deal. It's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code 200cash to get a 10% cash bonus on top of your first deposit. Again, mybookie.ag. Promo code 200cash to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, Curtis, another question here. We got one from Jake, and this is, Going back to what we were talking about with the South Carolina game, and I just mentioned how we had only one possession in the first quarter, three real possessions, four total possessions, I guess, in the first half of that game. So Jake asked, how much will new clock rules start changing Georgia's approach? I normally wouldn't sweat with each team getting two possessions and being down 14-3, but now I feel like our old approach where we run, pun ourselves out of time – might need us to need to be more aggressive, especially on fourth downs. Curtis, I think this is a really interesting question. Do you see a, a need for us to adjust our offensive approach in games based on the new clock rules? Um,
0: Actually, I think they are because, like, you can't come out conservative or you can't go into a shell at times during games right now because you don't have as many opportunities. Possessions are limited. <laughs> And I think that's the biggest thing because you can't now. I mean, to be honest, you can't have wasted possessions right now. No,
1: And because it's magnified. Each possession is magnified when you have fewer possessions. It's just that simple. And I, I would you be in favor of us doing more tempo?
0: Because oh, we ran 100%. with some tempo at times, but yeah, and we had success. On a we basis? did. You want to see that on a regular basis? I do because I thought we had. I mean, you don't have to be as up tempo as what Oregon used to be back in the day or something, but exactly. there's a happy medium. Exactly.
1: Like, you don't have to be what Auburn was, you know, when Gus Malzahn had that thing humming. You don't have to be what, what, like you said, what Oregon was. You don't have to be like what Ole Miss wants to be at times. You don't have to be that, but you also don't have to go to snail space because, you know, we had was I think a 13 play drive, 11 play drive, or our first two drives, the, the two that went, in, or two of our drives that went into the red zone in the first half. And that's great, but these long, drawn-out drives where you're just going at a slow, plodding pace, that – I mean 13, those long drives are great, but we don't need to waste as much time because you're, you need to – you would like to maximize possessions. Because when you're the better team, when you're the more talented team, it might – it's how I look at it. When you're the more talented team, you want there to be more possessions. That means that the less talented team has to score more to keep up with you. Does that make sense, Curtis? Yeah, it does. If you're, if you're the le- lesser talented team, obviously you want to slow the game down, limit possessions, because you know that you're probably not going to be able to score as much with Georgia. Like that's what Kentucky does. To us. That's why those games that we play when we when we play Kentucky, or they tend to be a little bit closer than the other teams that we play. Well, we're both similar styles, but Kentucky wants to slow the game down. They know they cannot score with us, so they want to slow the game down. They want to grind and they want to limit possessions, and that's what happened last year in Lexington. 16-6s. So there were just not that many possessions. And so I think if you really want to maximize, like if you want to take the talent you've assembled and you really, really, really want that to give you an advantage, I think you need to run with more pace, or at least be more aware of the clock and start doing things to to give you more opportunities and more possession. So again, I'm, I'm with you, Chris. I wouldn't say like you know warp speed. That's not what I'm saying, but a faster speed than we have been running from for the first three weeks. And like we have done some tempo at times. But I like to see that on a more regular basis, to be honest with you, because I think that would work in our favor, especially against these teams. We're just significantly more talented than those teams. All right. Question number three here, Curtis. You got a question from Jack. We alluded to the red zone earlier. We got to talk about this here. He said last year's team got things figured out in the red zone. In fact, we were dominant in the red zone, Curtis, offensively and defensively. How does this team do it? Can this team do it, Curtis?
0: They can do it. I mean, you know, you made the comment about how good we were in the red zone last year, but we can't forget that there was a good, solid period of time where we were absolutely terrible in the red zone.
1: It's Missouri. That's why we almost lost Missouri.
0: And even uh, Auburn until the second half. You know, it's kind of very interesting. You know, you think about one of our biggest Achilles heels last year was the red zone inefficiency. When we were playing really poorly, that was our issue. And it's kind of the same thing this year. And that's why, like, I honestly don't believe that the red zone issues are an anomaly.
1: Last year, we were number one in the country and score percentage inside the red zone now that wasn't necessarily touchdowns as we know that like yeah, we a did, We games. had a better
0: kicker which is you know is one thing that's going to hurt our yeah. um, percentages right now because uh, yeah you know, that's just not us right it.
1: now are you at yeah. the point Curtis we had a question I uh, well I think we have it later we'll hold, on. we'll hold that question we'll hold that question we have that question later but we were top 30 last year in touchdown percentage in the red zone so we were scoring touchdowns at a, 60, a almost 69% clip last year once we got in the red zone. Now, that was over a 15-game sample size. Right now, we are not doing that. We're 91st nationally in red zone touchdown percentage. We're scoring touchdowns so in the red zone on a 56% clip right now. So that's about a 13-ish percent dip in our red zone touchdown scoring percentage. Now, I know it's only a small sample size, but those are the data points that we have to work with. So there is an issue there, Curtis, but as you said in that first question – don't you feel a little bit better about our red zone issues after what you saw in the second half?
0: Yeah, because it shows that it's not that it's fixable.
1: Well, let me ask you what I, I talked about this on the on the recap episode. But I want to get your thoughts on it. What have like when we've had issues like in the first half in the red zone, getting three points on two red zone trips. What has been the issue? Why are we having more issues in the red zone right now than we did for most of last year?
0: Well, as we know, the field shrinks when you're in the red zone, and I think that is a big issue right now um, because – And when the know, field shrinks, what do you have to do? you got you to run the football. And we've and had we're not able that.
1: to. Yeah. We, we, we were able to in the second half, Curtis, and that's why we – technically, I said on, on the recap episode we were 3-for-3 three three in the red zone. Technically, we were 3-for-4 because we did get in the red zone, and then we got that holding call on Tate Ratledge. It, got, it pushed us back <laughs> out of the red zone and kicked the field goal from outside the red zone, so I just – I was wrong on that. But the three other times we got in the red zone, we scored touchdowns, and Curtis – if you remember correctly, they're all runs, right? Yeah, they were. Funny how that works. It's funny how when you can run the football in the red zone, all of a sudden your red zone efficiency goes really, really up. You know, We weren't able to do that first half. We just weren't, and that put us in third long, and as you mentioned, the field's condensed when you are in the red zone, and when it's third long, there's not much space to work with, and the defense knows what you're doing. It's hard to fit win, fit the ball in those windows. That's why we're throwing screen passes on third nine at Marcus Rosemey-Jackson, seeing if you can make a guy miss, and he couldn't, and you got to kick a field goal. If you run the ball effectively on first down, you're not in those situations. And that's what we were not doing the first half, and it's what we it's what changed in the second half once we got in the red zone. So I'm hopeful that that continues. If we're able to run the football like we did in the second half, moving forward once in the red zone, red zone issues won't be a problem. We'll, yeah, we'll get exactly. To kind of what we're doing last year. But the question becomes: Was what what is the real Georgia? Like, what is our running game right now? Is it what we saw in the, in the second half, or is it what we saw for the first two two and a half games? And I don't know. With Deion Edwards, I'm hopeful that it's it's more what we saw in the second half. I'm hopeful. But there's no guarantee, especially now with the Marius Mims going down. But I do think that we can get it fixed. I think we showed signs in the second half of fixing those things. But, again, for me, it just comes back to can we run the ball consistently when we get in the red zone? If we can, we're going to be fine. If not, we're going to struggle all year doing that. All right, next up, we got a question from Guy. Thank you, Guy. I know you've been around listening for a long time and always appreciate you. A guy asked that he's, oh, he always says the consensus <laughs> among other Georgia quote-unquote experts, and th- those are guys' words, not mine, is that the offense isn't necessarily a Bobo issue as much as Carson just won't let it rip when there are open receivers down the field. I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, Curtis, but I want to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Um, You know, you and I, I think you did touch on it well early. Um, Maybe at times, I mean, Carson is, is checking it down less than last year, but it just feels like Um, I think the thing that frustrates people the most is that there are open guys when he ends up checking it down quite a bit. Um, there
1: are at times, yes, but I think what I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how progressions work at this level.
0: It's I agree. Not and like I think there, that's where a lot, lot of the you
1: just stand back there with no pass rush and guys going one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, and you could look at the entire field and find a guy that's open. That's just not how college progressions work, you know. And I think that some people are just not – I don't want to say not aware. I think people just – like we get emotional, right, Carson, we're invested. When you see Dylan Bell streaking down the field wide open and Carson checks it down, you're like, what are you doing, man? And I get that, that gut reaction, that visceral reaction. I understand that, but there's also a reality, a lot of concerts that we run, where – we're only working half the field. And so if Dylan's on the other side of the field that we're not working, even if he's streaking down the field, Carson's not going to look at him because he's not in the read. He's not in the prog- now. If you have to escape and you're trying to make something happen because there's pressure, and you look down the field and you see Dylan Bell wide open, then you throw it to him. But if you're sitting there in the pocket and you're going through your normal progressions, the check down might actually be in the progression before the other side of the field in some cases. So I know that's a popular rallying cry right now. I just I don't know, I don't buy into that as much. And again, the numbers. Tell you that Carson's actually thrown the ball down the field just about as much as Stetson did through the first three games last year. And he's actually been really effective when he's done so. Now, I would also say, like, when a team like South Carolina, when they're sitting back there, Curtis, and they're playing, a, they're trying to pressure us like they did, and they're playing in that soft zone off of us, they're asking us to throw the ball down the field. They're kind of baiting you into that. And if you throw the ball on the field like that, you're you're going to increase the chance that ball, that ball gets picked and you turn the ball over. And they were also off most of the time in this game. There were not many opportunities where they were leaving the middle of the, the middle of the field open. They were playing middle of the field closed with a safety sitting right there in the middle of the field for most of the game. So if you're wondering why didn't we try to get Brock down the seam or Brock down you know on some post routes in the middle of the field in this game like we have in the past, it's because they were having a safety sitting right there, guys. Like they know they knew what we wanted to do. Now you can you can call the play and try to force it, but again. As frustrated as everybody is about Carson allegedly not pushing the ball down the field, you'd be a hell of a lot more frustrated if he's throwing picks against Atchiron and costing you football games. So you got you got to look at it both ways here. So I'm not seeing necessarily what everyone else or a lot of other, as guys says, quote-unquote experts are seeing. I could be wrong. I, I, that's, that's just my take. But watching the tape, I really like what I've seen from Carson back. I mean, to me, it shows maturity, a guy in his third start taking like reading defenses, understanding where to go with the football and being confident and comfortable, not forcing the ball and taking the checks down, check downs when they are there. So I, I'd much rather him take those check downs, than force the football and turn the ball over and cost us a game. That's just what I'll say. and Leave it at that. All right, Curtis, move along here. we got a question from, this is a, a different Jake. So Jake number two, uh, we all know that Mary Smith went down with a very bad ankle injury, a, not a broken ankle, but a very severe sprain aqueous actually already had the tightrope surgery, Kirby announced on Monday. So Jake asks, how bad does Amarius Mim's injury hurt the potential of this Georgia offensive line? Kirby, how big of a blow is
0: that, at least in the short term? Um, I think it is a big blow. Uh, but I think as long as you can get by Auburn, then well, I guess we have Kentucky too. Um, it is a big blow. We'll be honest, but I'll say trust did better at right tackle than I thought he would. Um, I don't think he's going to be the solution that, you know, that that's where he should have been playing. That's not what I'm going to say, but but it may help us on the left side. I think the left side will be stronger. I like
1: getting Dylan Fairchild in the game because, I, I mean, he, I'm not saying he was perfect, but I, I think this guy is a good solid player for us. And he's going to get – he's one of those guys that if he has to play for extended games, which it looks like he will at this point, he'll get better and better and better. He's a physical guy. Uh, he's tough out there. I think he's a natural fit at guard. I, I like having him out there uh we'll see we'll see how trust as you mentioned we, i think our next question actually deals with trust at tackle we'll talk about that in a minute here but look when you have the guy the one guy on your team right on your offensive line that is a sure fire first round draft pick in my opinion with him going out for multiple games that never helps right i mean it's not a good thing so no, never. i'm not going to sell you a bill of goods here and say, like, oh yeah we're we're just fine like various Mims going down it's tough but as you alluded to curtis we we're fortunate the first half of our schedule – I don't want to say it's easy. That's not fair, but it's certainly not as strenuous as the back half of our schedule following the bye week. Auburn, and that trip to Auburn is going to be – that's going to be funky. you know. It's just going to Jordan-Hare. Crazy things happen. Kentucky is a good solid team. But we get them at home. We're better than Kentucky. I mean, Vanderbilt, I don't even want to entertain that right now. And obviously, we've got UAB. So if we can get through that stretch, get to the bye week, I'm hoping – that we can get Marius Mims back by Florida. There's no guarantee that will happen. Everybody's body, especially with these tightrope surgeries, they recover differently. Now I think it was Tua was back in like what a week, two weeks, something like that. Yeah, he was incredibly fast, like, ridiculous. So I, I don't expect Marius Mims at you know 300 plus pounds to be as uh, quick of a, of a recovery as as Tua Tonga Loa was because you know you, you put more weight on that foot. So I don't expect that. But I mean, Curtis, is it reasonable to think maybe, maybe by Florida?
0: Uh, I, I think that's reasonable.
1: I mean, I don't know for a fact. I don't know, but I think that's I think that's reasonable. I mean, we're looking at four to six weeks. And typically, with when you have – that's why you have the tiger surgery to try to get back faster. So he will be back. It's just a matter of when. And if we can get him back by the Florida game, I feel really good because that's the stretch, man. Florida's playing solid right now. They obviously beat Tennessee. It's only Florida's great, but you know, it's, it's a rivalry game, and you got. Missouri, you got Ole Miss was the ultimate trap game right before you go to Tennessee, then you got Tennessee. We need Mims for that stretch, and I feel like there's a really good chance we'll get there. And what it will also allow is other guys like Dylan Fairchild to gain more experience and get more comfortable, so if they're pressing the duty somewhere else on the offensive line later in the season, we're in good shape there. So, I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise. It's never a blessing when your most talented offensive lineman goes down. That's not a blessing. That's crazy to say, but I do think that it will help some guys get some experience, and I, I do think that we'll get Mims back for that more strenuous stretch run once we get off the uh, off the bye week. We just got like I said earlier, just don't slip up, man. We just got to – it's Curtis, right now, it's survive in advance. With all the injuries that we're dealing with right now, I don't care if we win by one point. Let the national media say what they want. Let, let rival fan bases point their fingers and say we're not that good. We're overrated. That's fine. Survive in advance until we get healthy. And when we get healthy, as the season progresses, we're going to be so much better. And by the time we get there, everyone can point point laugh all they want. But we're going to win that national championship again if we get to that point. We just can't slip up. We just can't slip up. That's what it comes down to. All right, let's move along here. A couple more, Curtis. We've got a question from Art. So you talked about trust at tackle, and that's where Art wants to take things. Uh, Art asked, "The line seemed to gel with Trust at right tackle after Mims went out. Is Trust a more natural tackle than guard? I know we missed Mims, but what's your take on the line after the shuffle? So let's, let's focus on the Trust at tackle. Curtis, is like I thought he actually did play much better. I told you at halftime, like put me in, like if, for Trust out there, like like if he's at guard, just put me in, man. Right, maybe it was in the first quarter. Put me in, less of the offensive line, just not playing well." He goes to right tackle Curtis and I thought he played much better in the second half. How do you feel about him at tackle versus him at guard?
0: Um, It's interesting. He, cause he was a lot better as tackle. Um, but you think of, you think of Ben Jones or not Ben Jones, Ben Cleveland, you know, kind of that's the body type is what I find similar for trust and why guard realistically probably is the most likely or better position for him, but he was playing, he is playing good. Um, do I think that he is uh, sh- the when Mims is back that he should stay there and Mims should go on the inside? Absolutely. No, no, not.
1: no, 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 no,
0: no. But what about Mims at left tackle and Truss at right
1: tackle and Ernest Green be the because Ernest Green's not playing well right now, Curtis. I'm just gonna be real with you I No, know he impression played impression. he
0: played horrible. He's like, he tried to finish three him games a in a row but. now. It's
1: not it's not good enough right now.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can't. There's no uh, – give him a break right now. He's playing just horrible.
1: Yeah, and I, I know you're a freshman, and he's going to get so much better. But right now, it, it has not been good enough. I, I feel very confident and comfortable saying that. I mean, I'm not trying to kill the kid. I'm just trying to be objective here. Has it not been good enough? Austin Blasky coming back this week, Curtis. Do you see him maybe starting to get some more snaps for the first team? He's been
0: injured. I, I think you'll see him get rotated in.
1: Oh, yeah, I think he's going to get rotated. Now he, It depends on how he performs. If he starts to play really well – I mean, he might be an option there, Curtis. I mean, yeah, I think I what it'll come down to is who's playing better, Dylan Fairchild or Ernest Green. Because with Truss's versatility, you know, play guard or tackle, what you could potentially have is like you're saying, all right, well, look, if Fairchild's not playing well, we'll just put um, – we'll put Truss at guard and we'll put Blasky and Green at the tackles, right? But if we feel like Fairchild is playing better than Green, which right now I think that he is, then I, I would be in favor of saying, all right, we're going to move – will we'll put Blasky at left tackle, truss at right tackle, and have Fairchild at left guard. I mean, I think that's reasonable, right?
0: I think it's reasonable.
1: I mean, if if that play continues. So I'm curious to see there. But you know, with trust, it's it's such an interesting case study, man, because he's not the quickest of foot guy. And typically at tackle, you need to be, especially at left out. Now he's not playing left tackle, he's playing right tackle. It's a little bit of a different story there. But it's almost like he's I think at times he has trouble bending, and then some of those guys that are playing in the, on the interior of the defensive line. They're just getting underneath his pads. And, and Also, some of the teams that we've been playing, there's not always a guy that's head up on him, and sometimes he's getting pressure in his face, and he's trying to block these like quicker guys coming from the middle of the defense, and he's having trouble doing that. Uh, I think when you're out there on the edges, yes, guys blitz from the edge at times, sure, of course, but more than not, he's going to be matched up with that, you know, either five tech or an edge rusher kind of guy. I think he's more equipped to block those kind of guys and those quicker guys that sometimes are blitzing from the interior of the defense when he's playing a guard because that's where he has trouble. Like if he gets his hands on somebody, he's a powerful guy. It's just when he's blocking guys coming from depth that are more athletic than he is, he's just out of his league, man. He just struggles with that. He's just a big guy. and That's just not what he's equipped to do. I think He's much more equipped. The block guy that's more comparable to his size when he does that, he's really effective. So I think that's why we saw him be a little more effective out there at tackle on Saturday. And, like, I mean, I like what Fairchild did. So I, I would keep Fairchild in there, and uh, I would – I would, when Blassie comes uh, – Blasty's not going to start this week. I don't imagine he will. But if he plays well and Ernest Green continues to struggle, I might consider seeing what Blassie's got there at left tackle as a starter. We'll see. I don't know. It's, it's just – it hasn't been good enough, man. It just has. I hate to keep saying that, but – it is just reality. All right, we got a question here from Wesley Curtis. Wesley says, does this not feel a lot like the Kent State through Missouri arc from last year? Do you get that vibe, Curtis? These oh,
0: 100%. That's what I've been saying forever. Um, but, you know, it didn't make me feel better, though, because we had, you know, as you talked about, we had the uh, Oregon and South Carolina games before. You know, early in the year, so it kind of helped your confidence. And yeah, we,
1: always, we always had that in our back pocket, we were just always like, oh, we're just playing down to our competition. Right now, exactly. it's like, we haven't seen that dominant
0: version, so it's just who we are. Like that's, Exactly. That's that so power. I think that's why seeing um, us turn it on the second half was so important to me.
1: Yeah, I, I was very, very encouraged by that. That's why I, I said in the recap episode, Curtis, that I I walked away from that game, walked out of that stadium on Saturday night feeling a lot better about this team than I did either of the first two weeks. And I know that sounds weird because it was a closer game, far closer game than either of those two games, but I saw what I needed to see, as you said, in the second half to give me confidence and encourage me moving forward here that we, we have what it takes. We just gotta, we gotta, we gotta just crystallize it and be able to dot, dip into it more consistently than we have over the past, I guess the first two weeks of the season or first first three weeks of the season, I guess I should say. All right, let's go uh, to number eight here. Curse on our list. Go. Quite a few more, so we'll try to go a little faster with some of these. All right. Nick asked, How do you feel about the play from from Dalen Everett and David Daniel in the secondary? Both looked to struggle, Curtis. What do you think?
0: Uh, Um Yeah. Yeah. Struggle struggle's a nice word. Who struggled more? Daniel or Everett? Daniel, because he just looked lost. That was the thing. Everett just was he was in position. He just wasn't. To me, it's you know what I talked about previously. I just think he doesn't have the quick twitch as much. Where Daniel, uh, David Daniel, I don't, I'm not saying he can't do it. He just doesn't. I mean, it's his know first him. career start, man. I mean, you know. Yeah, but the thing is, he's been in the system for. Yeah, he he's played years. a third downs a lot last year. So that's why it's harder to give him. Um, I don't really have as much, you know. Def- yeah, that big
1: post he gave up to Leggett right before the half that set up that second score for them to go up 14-3 after we missed the field goal. That kind of made me feel I, I was freaking out kind of ish at that point um i know you you were not happy either we were, we were talking in, in the in the concourse at halftime but he like comp- i don't know what he was doing that play like he just kind of stopped in his tracks almost and was like he let Leggett just cross his face and he looked around and he's like oh this is my guy and then he started chasing him and it's like what
0: huh what are you yeah, doing Yeah, it was man? just very piss poor play
1: Yeah, it's like, i just don't know i don't know what you're doing there and like yeah w- with more experience you get better at those things the more you see him of course but you're right he did play a fair amount i mean he played like when dan went out with the injury last year, David Daniel was the guy in the dime package. He was coming in. He was an extra safety. He was that extra DB coming in. So he's played not a ton, but he's played some for us. So it's not like he's brand new out there being thrust into competition for the first time. That's not what's happening. So he struggled for sure at times. He wasn't terrible, but wasn't. Wasn't especially good either, I think it's fair to say. Daylon is really good at run supports. So I think it's really ultimately what won him that job more than anything because that's a huge part of what Kirby wants from his from his corners, especially with how teams throw the ball in the perimeter a lot. Now you got to defeat blocks, and he's more equipped to do that than guys like Nyland Green and Julio Humphrey right now. So I think that gives him an edge. He, he does very well with that. But you know, you know, playing the ball, ball skills, and that comes with the reps. And he's still not quite there yet. I, I've seen, I've seen some positive signs, but he's certainly got to continue to improve. wasn't It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, an elite game from him. Or See, a you're a little
0: game. far. You're a little higher on him than I am because I think, you know, he can make plays on the ball, but there's certain things like the quick twitch is, which I think is what I have makes questions. The, which is what? Yeah, makes there was a the the play in the
1: first team. quarter. I think Leggett. Well, Leggett looked like he was wide open. Like we had just like lost him, but. Dalen was playing him and he was covering him, but Leggett just stuck his foot in the ground and ran to come back. And Dalen like is he was his hips were so stiff he was not able to. Yeah, he is very very stiff. separation between them.
0: He is very stiff, and I think that's really what it is because he just doesn't. He doesn't turn as well.
1: And that's where like Julio Humphrey is much is a much better cover guy in my opinion. But Kirby, I'm telling you, man, he puts a premium on guys being able to defeat blocks in the perimeter and tackle. And I think that's where Dalen has the edge right now. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, it's a philosophical thing, but we saw the past issues that we had last year, Curtis, that some of these elite teams that can really throw the football. I think we might need to rethink that and start looking at some guys. And you don't want guys that just simply cannot tackle and cannot defend ta- you know, screen passes on the perimeter. You have to be able to do that. But would you not rather err on the side of a guy that can actually cover a little bit more consistently down the field?
0: Oh, I agree. I mean, right now, in general, I'm kind of questioning – the decision making at times just because like you know i was t- kept bringing it up to you like why is uh da- dirty dan not in the game like yeah instead of david daniel so it's just like i don't know if they're trying to give the guys a chance to grow or what
1: it's interesting man i i, I agree with that i mean i think for look i kirby knows far more about defensive football than i would yeah exactly so i mean Melanie. i think
0: i think i'm just puzzled more than anything
1: yeah I, I think it's a philosophical thing i think he prefers bigger corners i mean look at keely ringo curtis He's yeah. a bigger corner, man. And like he, we know he had issues covering. I mean, Kamari is, is a better cover guy, but he's still a bigger corner. You know? Like that's he is. what Kirby no, he, wants. Yeah, he, he wants. He guys plays that a can, lot
0: bigger than he is.
1: Yeah. He wants guys that can defeat blocks on the perimeter. I'm telling you, man, that's big in what he wants done. And I feel like, I don't know this for sure, but just based on the guys that just laid out, history, it seems like he prefers those bigger bodied corners that can do that, and I don't nec- – and I get it. I do get where he's coming from. I just don't know if that's the philosophy that I would necessarily follow, but that I don't get paid $12 million a year to make those decisions. That's Kirby, and I I trust the man. He knows, again, far more about football than I could ever dream of. All right, guys, we are still not done yet. We still got quite a few questions left, but before we move on, I do want to take our last break of the show today to remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I was just in there last week, and I know the weather's—it's still warm, but it's starting to cool down a little bit. Eventually, someday, somehow, it will get down to cooler temperatures here in the state of Georgia. And when it does, I am ready because I just picked up this awesome new Nike bomber jacket from, from Alumni Hall. It's incredible, guys. And it's not like your old school bomber jacket that's kind of thin. It is a thicker bomber jacket. So when it does get cold like December, January, February, I am going to be fully equipped when I head to new orleans when i head to houston for the national championship game i will be ready to roll with my new george bomber jacket that i got at alumni hall and they have so much more guys it was hard to get out of there with just buying that so make sure to stop in today inside the epsburg shopping center here in the classic city if you're coming in town this weekend for the uab game it would be the perfect time to stop in but if you're not coming in town no worries just go to alumnihall.com we got the internet now we can really shop anywhere from anywhere and they have all the same great gear, all the same great selection that you're going to get in store at AlumniHall.com. You can find that online as well. So again, Alumni Hall, guys, it's the no-brainer, go-to spot for all your 2023 Georgia football game day gear. And really, Georgia sports, any game day gear, they've got you guys covered. So make sure to stop in today because Alumni Hall is where? The Bulldog Shop. All right, Curtis, we've got a couple more questions here. Let's go with a question. Uh, this is another, a different. We got two Wesley, so different So Thank you, Wesley, for this question. Uh, and this is not specific to Georgia, Curtis, but I think we can kind of take it that direction. Wesley asks, "Is Spencer Rattler the best quarterback in the SEC this year?" I think that's a very interesting question.
0: <laughs> um, through three games, I think he is. I don't know Jackson yeah. Darts. Jack Darts playing decent, but I I still have to go. Rattler's a far better passer. Yeah. What about Jaden Daniels?
1: Because his numbers right now are actually slightly better than Rattlers. I feel like Rattlers performed at a higher level if you consider the fact that he has zero offensive line to work with.
0: Yeah, especially when you consider all no the weapons game. that Jaden Daniels is playing with too.
1: Yeah, I think Rattlers – I mean I, I know I spent most of the offseason just dogging this guy, saying that you know he's inconsistent, which I, I still stand by. But I'm also – Honest enough, sir, and tell you that when I get updated information, I will update my opinion, and that's what I'm doing with Spencer Rattler. The guy is—he continues to play at a really high level. I know he didn't play at a high level in the second half. But that was more about us and what we were doing than him. Like he wasn't—like he—he had almost no chance based on what we were doing, how we were just dominating that defensive line or that offensive line in the second half but i i do think he right now arguably is playing as the best quarterback in the sec i think you make an argument curtis that the the combination of spencer rattler and xavier legette is the best one two quarterback receiver punch in the league right now oh i think that's fair i mean you can maybe say Jaden daniels and, and malik neighbors sure you can make that argument too but i think spencer rattler and Leggett are in the conversation i mean coming in last week curtis Leggett was averaging 150 yards a game i mean this guy and he he played well against us now we he didn't do much the second half because we were just – they couldn't complete passes in the second half. I think they completed like six passes. I think he was like six to 24 in the second half. But I think that's a really good one-two punch. So if you're like concerned about how that game went, let's just think, guys. We might have just played the best quarterback and best receiver that we're going to play all year long in, in the regular I season. Know.
0: Joe Milton may be that guy. Ah, Joe
1: Milton, man. You're right, Curtis. How can we possibly forget about him? I mean it's clearly Joe Milton. He's the best quarterback in the league, right? Clearly? No. Nope. Oh, well – no, it's Graham Mertz, right?
0: Yeah, Graham Mertz because he has the highest.
1: Yeah, season. Graham Mertz won. Joe Milton two, obviously, of course. And then maybe AJ Swan three at this point, potentially. We're hearing. Yeah, that's 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 the word out there. That's the word. All right, let's keep moving on. Got a question from Darren. Always appreciate Darren. Darren, I know you had a bunch of questions, man, but uh, we had some overlap, with some other questions, so we we took this one. I think this one's a unique question. So I always appreciate Darren. Uh, but Darren asks, "What will the wide receiver lo- rotation look like when Lad McConkie comes back? Curtis, we are all patiently or maybe impatiently awaiting his return, but is Arian the odd man out with the emergence of other guys like Ra Ra Thomas, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint, et cetera? What do you think? Or what does that rotation look like
0: when Ladd comes back? Because Lad's playing. Think a- I think right now Arian is the odd man out because he is Agreed. not taking advantage of the opportunity.
1: Arian can't block a freaking soul, man.
0: No, and then he's also not making play. Well, he's getting benched because he's not blocking. Then he's also not yeah. being tough. you think back? I think it was week yeah. one he, or week he, two he, or – He's he just was not making streaking plays. to
1: open that, that one play in the first half of the opening game against UT Martin, so he got open there, but he hasn't – I mean – and maybe you can say, okay, we're not dialing up shots for him. Okay, that's fine. He did drop a couple passes in that first game. There were a couple of plays that he could have made, and he not – well, there's one play he could have made. There's another play where he got held, but he's got to be more physical at the top of the route. So See, that's the issue. He's played. not
0: playing physical at all.
1: Yeah. And that's, all, I mean, that's always going to be tough for Aaron. He's not a big guy. He's a track guy that's trying to turn into a football guy. And it's, I've always said this about Arian. We know how fast he is, but all those injuries – and he's healthy right now, which is great. But all those injuries for all those years truly stunted this guy's development. He's still basically like almost like a sophomore, Curtis, at this point in terms of his development, in terms of like practice time on the field. He hasn't played that much. And so we're expecting him like he's a like you know he's a fourth year guy. You're expecting to play like a fourth year guy, but he's not really a fourth year guy because he hasn't practiced enough to be a fourth year guy. He's really practiced the equivalent like a second year guy. So he's struggling there. Blocking has been a problem for him. Um, that's been an issue, and that's you know just like defeating blocks on the perimeter on defense is big for Kirby. Receiver block on the perimeter also big for Kirby. If you can't do it, you ain't playing. And rah rah, you have to do really any of that at Mississippi state, but he's getting better, man. He, if you watch this guy, he's doing all those things. He's learning the system. He's learning our language. He's learning the route combos. He's learning how to do side adjustments and all those things that he never had to do a full route tree that never had to do at Mississippi state with the aerator, Mike leash. And I think he's going to be a factor more and more as the season goes on. So I'm with you, man. I'm with what you're saying. Curtis dare. I agree. I think Rose is obviously a guy that's going to be a staple in this offense. And uh, when Lad comes back, lad's going to play. I mean, it's, it's that simple. So I think – I would say the top three guys would be Lad, ra Rob. – I'm sorry, Lad, Rosamy, and and Love it. I think Ra-Ra would be the fourth guy, maybe Arian the fifth guy, but C.J. Smith, Curtis.
0: Yeah, I'd Arian rather have watch C.J. Smith right now.
1: Because C.J. Smith is not quite as fast as Arian, but he ain't that far off, and he's bigger and more physical. So Arian better keep fighting, or C.J. Smith might pass him up. So, I mean, Arian's a guy that c- could certainly have a role, could change a play, could change a game. On just the drop of a hat with his with his athleticism and speed, sure. But if he's gonna be out there on the field consistently he's gotta do more little things, and he's just not really doing that right now consistently. All right, Justin asks, why does it seem like we abandoned those defensive line pre-snap hop movements all of last year? And we actually, those are we call that in our defense, those are called stim We're stimming. Um, but why do we seem like we dropped that most of last year, but we brought it back? It seems like it worked wonders in 2021 and it worked against South Carolina. So do you expect to see that more moving forward Curtis?
0: Um I think it's something you can't use every time. I mean, why would you use it week 1 and 2 when you weren't yeah. playing anybody? Um, it
1: loses it, its potency to a degree when you exactly, every Exactly. Yeah, you use
0: it every day, it loses or if you use it every snap, it loses not, you know, what makes it work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. I you you bring it out to me, you bring it out in big moments. Yeah. Like when you're, especially like when you're at home and it's a big third down, the crowd's getting loud and they're already like liable to to jump anyway. It's got kind of like that Arkansas game a couple of years ago. That's when that's when it's really effective. I mean, even on the road, you know, if it's a big third down, you want to put a team behind the chains. That's when I'd pull it out. You just can't. And we never really did it snap by snap. And I'm not saying that Justin's suggesting we did that. We didn't do it that way. But I, I will agree with him that we did it more in 2021. I think that's certainly fair compared to what we did last year. We didn't do it as well. see, much I think that, year.
0: and that makes sense to me because we had a defensive line that scared the hell out of people in 2021. True.
1: They're all, they're they were
0: already jittery. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fair, then, man. as soon as they move, you're like, oh heck. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think I, I, think Justin's right though that did work well against South Carolina, and I would like to see us continue to do it periodically in key moments throughout the rest of the season. I think it's a, it's a weapon. It's very effective for us until they change the rule because they, they change every rule that helps the defense eventually. They always do. So eventually, they'll probably ban that. But because now, like, you know, you can't even clap anymore on defense, Curtis. It's like you can't even get, like, your, your teammates' attention trying to change a call. You can't do that because now it's you're giving legal signals trying to simulate the snap count. So anything that's good for a defense, they'll eventually change. And that's why the numbers, offensive scoring numbers keep going up. So I anticipate it eventually we will get banned. But until it does, let's keep leveraging it. All right, Sam. Always appreciate it, Sam. Appreciate you, man. Uh, Sam asked Curtis, why do you think Pop has regressed this season? And is it time? For him to be replaced as a starter after another poor showing. um, he, I, I, Curtis, I, I'm just going to let you have this one, man. I, I don't even know what to say.
0: I mean my biggest thing is I don't see him as regressing. Like this is who he's always been.
1: Exactly. That's exactly my position. It's like it's kind of who he was last year. There was just We were told that he was great, but if you really dug deep in, ah,
0: he was good. He just wasn't great. Yeah. and you, There was a noticeable drop-off between him and Smile, and then you're seeing other guys come yeah. in and play too at high levels are just – very athletic and then it just really emphasizes just how unathletic or how he's not as athletic as everyone else
1: he's i i felt i feel like a broken record when talking about pop and i just because it's the same thing i mean he's a good player he's got some value he's just not elite like the idea that he was a first team ap all-american like I, i'm a georgia guy and i love our guys and i don't want to make fun of any of our guys but curtis that's i mean that was borderline ludicrous to me
0: yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I know was. he's
1: a linebacker. We have a great linebacker lineage recently, and we won the national title, and he was a big part of that. Sure, I get it, but also not one of the two best inside linebackers in the country. Just not, just not even, not, it's not close. And I and I love our guys, and I don't want to kill them, but I mean, Sam, you're right. I mean, I think people are kind of awakening to this. I mean, there was a play. Oh, I think it was the, the, the driver before half, right, when they went up 14-3? Yeah, he had two was, plays
0: like, on that drive. Was
1: yeah, I think, was, I think it was a third down, if I remember correctly, and he was one-on-one in the hole with Rattler, who was going to take off on a scramble, and Rattler just shook him. And Rattler's kind of mobile, but Rattler's not a – he's not that kind of guy, man. He's not. And he just, like, leaped, and Rattler just shook him, and he runs for a first down, and it extends the drive, and it's like, what are you freaking doing? That's, and it, that's doesn't our help it, after,
0: it, it doesn't help if it after – um, a couple plays earlier where he just didn't try to tackle Rattler and got, let him yep. get a couple more yards.
1: Yep. 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 So it's, to me, I agree with you, Curtis. I, I'm glad you said that. Cause I thought maybe I'm the crazy one. I don't, to me, he hasn't regressed. I feel like this is about what we saw from him last year. The leadership is awesome and that's very valuable, but he's just, he's not an elite inside linebacker. He's a good inside <laughs> linebacker. He's good. He's just not elite. And I don't know if he ever will be elite. I think he has physical limitations. And you know that's just kind of where it is right now but let's go to the second part of sam's question is it time for him to replace as a starter do we have a guy that's ready
0: to play at a higher level than than pop right now that's the question i don't know if we have a guy ready down in down out but pop sure as heck shouldn't be in there on passing situations that that much i know
1: and we've we've had him in there more than we did last year in those situations And i'm kind of and again i know that that shoe and Kirby know way more about defensive football than I do, but I'm just yeah, I'm not sure like, if they're huh? trying to
0: protect smiles still right now or what, yeah. like, it's just not, it's all, it's, he's obviously got deficiencies and that's where they are, um, you know, personified.
1: But when it comes to like leadership curse, how hard is it to take a leader like that off of the field?
0: Um, it's like, hard, freshman. but you can't also handcuff your team.
1: Here's what I would say. I say the guy starts the rest of the year. But just because you start doesn't mean that you have to play as much as you have been. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I feel that every game. Give
1: him, the, give him the honor as the leader on the team. Give him the respect to start, right? But sub-CJ Allen in liberally, early, and often. Uh, Raylan Wilson, the same thing. As he continues to get back from his injury, I think he, his ceiling is extraordinarily high. He's not obviously as, as advanced right now as C.J. Allen is. but missing some time in fall camp, but... His ceiling is there, man. So I I, just because I would keep him starting, I expect him to continue to start as a leadership component, but I I would not have too much of an issue if we start seeing a lot more C.J. Allen and maybe even Raylan Wilson if he can get to that point. Uh, One more question about Pop Curtis. Uh, This comes from Jonathan. Jonathan asks, is Pop Dumas Johnson the wrong answer as a spy? How will we handle Auburn's quarterback? I think the first one's pretty easy, Kurt. What do you think?
0: Yeah, there's no question. He is not the Insane. spy. He never should. I know be. you don't
1: want to use the same guy every time because it becomes predictable. But also, um, let's limit the amount of times that Pop is the spy. Let's just say that. Yeah. Because he, like, if it's a truly, I mean, Spencer Rattler is. He can move a little bit. He's not like an overly athletic guy, Curtis. I mean, come on. If he's shaking you, what's Robbie Ashford doing? I mean, come on.
0: Ex- come on. Exactly.
1: Come on. Come on. That's it. Ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work. So how do you think we handle? Robbie Asher. Now, Robbie Asher's not their starter. He plays, he plays a fair amount for them. Peyton Thorne is still the guy. They, they rotate those guys. It's all situational-based. Peyton Thorne can run a little bit. He's not, like, immobile. He's kind of like Carson, I guess, is what I would say. But Robbie Asher, obviously, is a guy who can't really throw the ball, but he can run the ball like a freaking gazelle. So what do you do when Robbie Asher's out there?
0: Uh, that's when you got to realistically give some of these other guys a chance um, to make something happen. Um, I, you know, it's not that Pop doesn't try. He just doesn't have that skill. And we've got to do something. I mean, i can yeah, see an effort AD on up there.
1: I mean, he works hard. It's not an effort thing. He's playing yeah, on not the an line. effort.
0: That's the thing, like it's not effort.
1: He's just got physical limitations, that's just reality. Compare relative to our other linebackers, let's just say that. I think that's, yeah, I think that's relative to everyone else in the country, he's still really good. But to our standard, I don't he's just I think we might have better guys. And that's just, you know, they're younger. I get that, but yeah. I mean, Auburn's quarterback, that, that we'll we'll talk about that a lot when we get to the Auburn episode, but it's a lot, a lot like we did last year. You're going you're gonna to have to bring I, – I bring some heavier packages. Like when they sub in Ashford because they have to sub him in. He doesn't start for them. When they sub him in, they have to give us a chance to sub. right? I, w- I would go with our base 3-4 defense. Like I'd bring in heavy, heavy personnel he's not going to throw the ball. Like he, if he does, it's typically screens. He might take a shot down the field, but the guy is so inaccurate. <laughs> I mean it doesn't scare me at all, to be honest with you. So I bring heavy package, and I would certainly – if you're going to spy him on passes, it's got to it's be somebody other than pop in my opinion, because he's just not going to be able to stay with him. Clearly. All right. Last one, Curtis. Chris asked, will we see Lad McConkie against Auburn? He feels like that may have been the plan. Sit him and have him ready for Auburn. Do you think that's what's going on, Curtis? Um, I'm not ready to
0: say yes or no, because honestly I need to see Lad out of practice consistently before I'm ready to say yes.
1: It's just so hard, man. Like, you know, last week, Right now, we've already said the Kirby's basically already said he's not going to play this week. But you go back the first couple weeks, Kirby was saying, "Oh, he's day to day. You know, he's going he, to dress out. We'll see how he, how he feels when he wakes up. And he woke up and he wasn't ready to go. And then Kirby thought he might play during the week, and he didn't play. And what you're dealing with is a back injury, Curtis. I don't know exactly what type of back injury, but as somebody who has dealt with a back injury—maybe I wouldn't call it a serious back injury—but I've dealt with some back stuff, some back pain, and I can tell you. When you deal with back pain, even when you think that you feel better, you've done, you've done all the rehab you could possibly do, all the stretching you can possibly do. I've done so much stretching in my life enough for like 48 different lifetimes. It's crazy. You can feel like you're back to normal, but in a moment's notice, it crops right back up on you. You know, and it's just it just happens. It's just a lingering thing for it, for you to be truly, in my experience, this is me to be like truly recover from a back injury. We're talking like months, not weeks, typically in my experience. Like you give it a couple of weeks. It's not like, oh, it's better. I have no problems anymore. It's not going to flare up on me. It flares back up. So that's what concerns me with lat. Is, is this going to be a lingering thing? I get what we're trying to do right now. It's like, you know, we don't, we're trying to give him as much time to have him for that stretch run. I totally get that. I'm with that. But depending on what kind of back injury it is, again, I don't know. So it's hard for me to definitively say, I don't know. But in my personal experience with back injuries with what I've dealt with, it's more of like a month's thing than a week's thing. Does that concern you at all? Um, it does because at some point he's going to be so rusty. Yeah, I mean when you're not practicing – we saw this last year, Curtis. He was dealing with like a, the 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 knee thing a little bit, and he was not practicing much because he was really banged up. More than people really knew during the season last year, he wasn't practicing much. And what happened in games, Curtis? He was rusty. He was dropping some passes, doing some very uncharacteristically un- – uncharacteristic things that are not what Ladd does, and, that, that, and also just conditioning, Curtis. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: so, that's a huge issue.
1: I, I don't know. I, I hope that you are right, Chris. I hope that we are just kind of saving him for Auburn. That would be awesome. It would be great to have him out there against Auburn. I I am not holding my breath, though, to be honest with you, because with backs, they're so unpredictable. It's so – that's that's the word when it comes to back injuries. It's unpredictable. You just don't know. And people rely they, – they respond to it differently. There's different kinds of back injuries, and they just can flare up, man. When you're playing a sport like football, especially a like receiver where you're cutting and you're stopping and you're accelerating, like, oh, man, it just – it it can it can flare up, man. So I don't know the answer there. I'm hopeful that we get him back, but I'm at a loss there. I can't really give you an educated opinion other than like my personal experience one way or the other. I, I, I hope, but we'll see. We need him for sure. We need him if we want a national championship, but we'll just have to see how it plays out. All right, guys, that officially does it for our week four mailbag episode. But fret not, we will be back a couple more times this week with some more Georgia football content for you guys. We are switching things up a little bit this week. Just a friendly reminder, with UAB up this week, it's not a game that I know you care about me doing any sort of like in-depth game preview like I did for the South Carolina game, like I would do for all of our other Power 5 games. So that's not what we're going to do this week. This week, I'm going to have the second edition, Volume 2, of the Glory UGA SEC Power Rangers. Now that we're a couple weeks in the season, we've seen more of these teams, we've Seen some some big time matchups we have some updating to do and it's gonna be quite different than the first edition from the volume one edition that we did following the first week of the season so look forward to that here tomorrow is when i'll be recording that and then charlie will be back with me at the end of the week to wrap things up with our week four picks of the week so a lot of stuff left for you guys this week so keep on coming back for more but we appreciate you guys thank you so much for being here for curtis i'm tyler and as always go dogs.